2023, the pinch gut season. It's a new year. It's a new chapter, let's hope, in the arts post-COVID. Can we say that yet, Erin Helliard? I don't know. But I'm really <laughs> He says laughing here. nervously. Erin, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's great to sit down with you today and talk through the entire pinch gut season. We'll be um, sharing podcasts about each concert and each opera as they come up through the year. But great to have a chance to sit down and talk with you about the whole kit and caboodle. So this year is... You've done this a number of times now with concerts in a season and operas and performances in Sydney and Melbourne. How did the 2023 season come together? In like back of a postcard answers, because I'm sure that's got a much longer answer too. No, look, it's the, the, the most challenging but also the most fun part of my job is to create to create the season for our wonderful audience. Um, and it's funny because this year we do have the very, very last holdovers from the pandemic lockdowns in that uh, Giustino and Ronaldo were of course slated for the year that was locked down and just like many other arts companies we signed contracts and organized with artists and we're doing our best to fulfill and honor those contracts which I think is really really important so we're so excited to um, bring these works which I planned many years ago mm. uh, to the stage particularly those two operas which I'll talk about in more detail in a moment but what's wonderful about Pinch Gut 2 is we're now finding a wonderful rhythm with our concert performances. Um, and in the, f- the first concert series of our year, each year now, is a beautiful sacred work of which there is so many beautiful and stunning pieces from the Baroque, as you know. And it's also around Easter time, which is a traditional time to, to sort of think about those kind of things and to celebrate the wonderful works that were written for this period in the Christian calendar. Um, and uh, all the great composers of the Baroque, of course, wrote sacred music. So it's a wonderful moment to showcase uh, these these works. And this year, your choice for that time is a work by Buxtehuder, a sort of cantata set of cantatas, um, which are really, in their content, very um, visceral. Can That's you just tell us a little bit about the Membra Jesu Nostri? Yes, exactly. Yeah, So it is a passion cycle. Uh, it was originally written for performance around Lent, around Easter time. And it's by Buxtehude, who we've never performed in Pinchgut's history. Though, it's, of course, as a composer, I know very well, and I know a lot of our listeners love his music. Um, he was extremely well-respected, so much so that, of course, Johann Sebastian Bach walked 400 kilometers to visit him and to listen yeah, to him and amazing. to work with him and to study him. Uh, and so it's great, uh, it's a great pleasure to put on some works by this fabulous composer. And this is probably Buxtehude's best known work, would you agree? I would say, yeah. So since Buxtehude was rediscovered in the 20th century, um, Membra Jesu Nostri is his most recorded vocal work. And it's an amazing work. It's seven cantatas, all discussing uh, or uh, dealing with seven parts of Jesus's body on the cross during the crucifixion. And it's a very meditative, solemn, sublime work, intensely beautiful. I came to know it first, uh, not really knowing much about the text um, and just admiring the beauty of the craftsmanship, the compositional craftsmanship, which Buxtehude brings to this amazing masterpiece. And it has uh, two violins and a beautiful array of basso continuo instruments, both bowed and plucked and uh, blown as well. I'm playing the organ and then a five part vocal ensemble. 
and it's an exquisite work. Um, I'm really excited to be uh, working with such amazing specialists, not only in the instrumental, uh, our instrumentalists, but also our vocalists mm. as well, to bring this to the stage. And a little further into the year, two operas and kind of two little operas, which you're pitching or, or placing as your second concert within the year. I want to talk about that now. Charpentier is a composer that we've heard Pinch Cup perform a couple of times in the past. This time it's two mini operas, is that right? Two divertissements. Yeah, that's exactly right. Tell us about those because they're not going to be fully staged, are they? It's not like full-blown costumes and sets and moving parts and everything like that. But it's more than just a just a concert. I say that with, you know, eyes rolled in inverted yes. commas in my fingers. No, I do understand. <laughs> I've been for many, many years trying to find a, a blend between uh, our fully staged performances, um, which we've been doing for over 20 years, and also something that's a little less fully staged, a little lighter on its feet, um, sort of a wink wink in the eye towards the audience, but at the same time animating it in a, in a, in a beautiful, entertaining way. And of course they did that, just like everything we do back in the 18th century. And I discovered these wonderful, as you say, mini operas. They actually call them in French petit opera, which is exactly mini exactly opera. That, yeah. And um, Charpentier, uh, in particular, wrote these for performances in the apartments of the Sun King of Louis XIV. Um, he had these lovely little concerts, which must have been very exciting and, and diverting, um, which was, when I say apartment, we might think of a little studio apartment in Sydney, <laughs> where you can't swing a cat. Elizabeth if, Bay. <laughs> exactly, but it wasn't like that. The appartements of Versailles were quite luxurious, um, and it wasn't just him in his bed <laughs> with other people sort of sitting around there. It was certainly a performance, but it was a much less formal than it would have been at court, at the court theatre. And so Louis would have loved this. It would have been an opportunity to have his closest friends. Um, and Charpentier wrote these. They're beautiful pieces, uh, generally. They're short. They're only about 30 minutes, which is really diverting. And so I've chosen two of them. Uh, for performance and asked Shannon Burns, who was our wonderful choreographer for Plate, um, to come and just animate them just mm. a little bit. We've also got Mel Liertz to do a little bit of design. So there will be some costume elements and lighting elements and some movement. Um, and it's also a way of bringing uh, the operatic experience to Melbourne. We really wanted to be able to do something that we could take down to the Melbourne Recital Hall. So I'm really excited about this. And the work that we chose to show off is The Pleasures of Versailles, Le Plaisir de Versailles. And it's a really funny work. There was obviously a huge in-joke for Louis and his courtiers mm. because they're talking about, what do you do at court? What do you do at Versailles when you're eternally bored and very, very rich? And so Charpentier and his friends got this very witty libretto um, uh, in which various pleasures come forward and say, well, no, I'm, I'm the greatest pleasure at Versailles. And, of course, it starts with La Musique, with music, which is sung by the great Sophia Troncoso, mm -hmm. who's been worked with us. And then Conversation comes in, and she's a bit babbling and a little bit annoying. Um, and that will be played wonderfully by Cathy D. Zhang. Um, so Conversation and Music have a little bit of an argument. And then um, Le Jeu comes in, and this was gambling. This is cards board games as well, you know, or nowadays it might be video games, things to, you know, idle away those hours. And he comes in and he puts his hand up for being the best pleasure. And then Commerce, the god of the feast, comes in and he says, hang on, guys, we're talking about these crazy things. You need food, wine, booze, chocolate. 
in the end, it sort of all ends with a truce and this wonderful sort of uh, sort of little dig at Louis. Um, so it's a wonderful little piece. And we're also doing um, another little opera, which is um, called Love Conquers All. And this one's quite unusual, Genevieve, because whereas Le Plaisir de Versailles is in French, this one's in Italian mm-hmm. because they loved all things from Italy at the time. It was very fashionable to have this. So Charpentier wrote a little tiny opera in Italian. And we're interspersing that with a beautiful, beautiful work by Charpentier called the Sonate à Huit, which is for eight instruments, two flutes, two violins, theorbo, bass gamba, bass de violon, and harpsichord. And we have all those instruments accompanying the wonderful singers I just mentioned for this performance. I'm going to put in a pitch. I think you should hook into the comedy of The Pleasure of Versailles and come in character as the Sun King. I'd like to see you in your smoking robe and slippers to direct the performance, please. If only we had the costume budget. (laughs) Oh, how convenient. Um, So if we turn to the two operas complete and proper, if you like, for this year, one comes from very much an undiscovered or underrepresented composer and the other from a very familiar composer of the Baroque. Legrenzi, the former, and Handel, the latter. Tell me about Legrenzi and the work that you've chosen. Uh, So Giovanni Legrenzi was uh, one of the most popular composers of his day, but none of us really know much about Legrenzi. And he's often a composer that some of our audience would also not recognise. I chose Legrenzi because uh, a colleague of mine, Chris Lowry, wonderful dear friend who uh, pinch guard audiences would know well, he debuted with us with Bayazette and he sang in Saul at the Adelaide Festival and he also sang um, in Farnace with us. Um, he uh, wrote to me and he said, oh, I've just done this amazing piece called La Divisione del Mondo in Paris um, by this amazing composer called Legrenzi. You should look him up. And I did. And then I discovered that he set one of the most popular libretti of the time called Giustino, which is loosely based on Justinian I, an emperor who was a peasant and then slowly became the emperor. And it's basically a rags to riches story that the audience loved and other composers set Giustino. So some of our listeners might recognise that Vivaldi set Giustino with a very famous aria that lots of people may know. Uh, Vedro con mio diletto, um, and then Handel also set Giustino. It's the same story, but I wanted to give Australian audiences not only their first taste of Legrenzi and this wonderful fin de siècle Venice, so it's from 1680s, Venice at its height, just before everything was about to decline and new things were about to come on the operatic stage, but also I wanted to give uh, the original version of this wonderful, wonderful story. And it's basically a very, it's a very whimsical fairy tale. It's a rags to riches story. It opens with Giustino as a shepherd. He's a peasant. He's tired. Um, he's pushing this plow. He's got cows. He falls asleep in the clouds uh, with the cows. And then fortune comes down and says, suddenly you won the lottery, literally. <laughs> I'm going to make sure you become emperor. And then the rest of the opera is this wonderful adventure as Giustino falls in love with empresses. There's um, uh, men dressed as women and women dressed as men, all the wonderful thing that makes uh, Baroque opera so compelling. And the other thing that's interesting about this score, Genevieve, is that it only exists in two versions, um, Legrenzi's Giustino. And... I love being a detective with this kind of stuff. I've done it many times with other works in the past from the 17th century. And uh, these two scores, 
were beautifully written. They were made for use by the Continuo players at the time, but they don't have all the information in there. There's another source that has some of the information in there, but not all of it. So one of my tasks is to complete these missing parts. We know that there was a five-part Venetian ensemble, two violins, two violas, um, and then a bass line that was involved. Um, but now my job is to recreate and to flesh it out, which I've done many times before, and it's something I really enjoy. It's a bit like a 17th century Sudoku or <laughs> Wordle. You have to sort of fit in all these patterns with the clues that you have, and my wonderful colleague Simon Martinellis has been helping me out with this. So it's a real... Uh, Freshly composed opera like Pinchgut does so well from so the bottom up. This is not just an Australian first, but a world first. It will be absolutely a world premiere. It was reconstructed by another colleague of mine in Europe, but I wanted to do my own version. Yeah. So that was done at a festival. It actually won a prize for sort of best rediscovered opera. But I wanted to do uh, my own version. I'm really excited to work with Dean Bryant, who's a fabulous director who is also making his pinch gut debut. And I know it's going to be a whimsical, fun, fairy tale opera, uh, which is also a little bit like The Handle, which we'll talk about. Well, let's go there. Handel is a composer who gets a lot of... I mean, he's had his fair share of airtime, has our Handel, not just with pinch gut opera, but also with Opera Australia. And, you know, we hear his music on the radio all the time. So coming back to Handel is stepping away from that sort of journey of discovery, except Pinchgut always does things differently. So what are you doing with this Handel opera? Exactly. Well, yes, so it's unusual in that this is Pinchgut opera's first Handel opera. We've done Oratorio before. We've done Theodora and Semele. Semele, quite arguably, was sort of Handel's attempt at trying to make an English opera. Um, and we've also done Athaliah, but this is our first real opera. And I couldn't be more thrilled um, we all know the beauty of Handel's Baroque operas. And so I wanted to start the rediscovery of Handel's Baroque operas for our audience and our creative team with his first great success, which was Rinaldo. Of course, he wrote operas in Europe before he moved to London, but this was the hit that made him an international superstar. It was premiered in London in 1711, and the first production was spectacular. In fact, there's a wonderful moment. There was an, uh, there's an aria that Alma Rana sings uh, in which she talks about the beautiful birds of the forest, and the producers of this opera in London brought in all these live birds. Oh, wow. And they released it into the theatre and this <laughs> aria, and they properly crapped all over the audience. <laughs> So everyone was talking about this amazing experience. This didn't hamper people's love for it, though. It was London's first take on amazing Italian opera with superstar singers, with a phenomenal orchestral colour. There's a big aria with a big solo for Handel himself, which, of course, I will be playing. Um, there's obligato solos for all members of the Orchestra of the Antipodes. And it's a thumping good story. It's uh, Ronaldo. It's taking place during the Crusades. It's again like Legrenzi's Giustino, which of course is set ostensibly in the Roman Empire, the sort of 500 ADs or so. This one's set in the medieval times, but again, it's a, it's a it's a fairy tale opera. It's got sorceresses. It's got um, sirens. It's got warriors, princes. There's magic. Um, there's intervention by divine beings, there's evil sorcerers. It's very much in that spirit. And it's quite interesting when you think about the Legrenzi is from 1685, 80, 83 or so. And this is only 
30 years later, but so much more developed mm. because opera at the time, just like cinema today, just went in leaps and bounds yeah. as it became so popular. So I'm really thrilled to be bringing this to the stage. And in fact, hasn't been heard in Australia since the 90s when it was last um, given at the Opera House um, with the great Graham Pushy, one of our great yeah. countertenors in the, in the title role. Um, and that was a long time ago. So in, a, in another way, it is rediscovered and reimagined, which are the core values of Pinchgut. Your passion and sheer enthusiasm for these works, Erin, is like, I feel like waves of it are coming over me and I hope it's translating into the microphone and into the ears of anyone who's listening because 2023 is clearly a lot of dreams come true that have had to be put into a sort of stasis for the last couple of years and I wish you all the very best. Can't wait to hear it. Thanks, Genevieve. (laughs) 